Morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning. I am particularly thankful to be speaking to you after Nick last week. I loved hearing Nick speak last week. I loved the service that we had. It was so good to just be able to worship with you in response to the Word of God, and it was a really special time. And this morning, I'm going to kind of be following on from where Nick left us last week. We're, we're looking at the story of Zacchaeus. Let me, let me read to you. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man, there by the name, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Um, our kids are studying this passage out in Sunday school this morning. Sunday schools love this passage. It's a, got all the drama of little people climbing trees. It's a great one. But I want you to use your imagination this morning. I, I want you to imagine Zacchaeus. Like his character, his life, his motivations, his personality. Draw a picture in your mind of what you think Zacchaeus is like. Then have a chat to someone around you. What do you think Zacchaeus is like? Describe him as a person. Go now. All right, you've got one more minute. All right, bring it back in. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, good thing is, we have no real way of knowing much about Zacchaeus. So whatever you said, you can choose to believe it's right. Uh, because when it comes to Zacchaeus, this is the only place in the Bible where we read about him. These 10 verses in Luke, that's it for what we know about Zacchaeus. Everything we know is in those 10 verses. But he is such an important character as well. Um, he is a bit of a hero for Luke. He is the last person that Jesus interacts with before he heads into Jerusalem to die on the cross. The night before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he came as a king and they sang salvation... Uh, what did they sing? Uh, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, the night before Jesus did that, he stayed at Zacchaeus' house. Um, he reminds us a little bit of Levi, who we read about way back in um, chapter 5, where the Pharisees asked Jesus, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy that need the doc- a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. So um, Zacchaeus lived in Jericho. I've actually got a aerial photo. Sorry, I'm skipping around a little bit here deeper. Um, This is Jericho in 1938, so a bit after the time of Jesus. But you still probably get an idea for the kind of um, place that it was. The story of the Good Samaritan happened on the road that goes from Jericho up through the hills, through the desert, to Jerusalem. Um, Jericho is right on the Jordan River. So um, maybe think about Murray Bridge uh, when you're thinking about the relationship of Jerusalem and Jericho. It's that kind of distance except walking, not in car. So, like, yeah, it, it takes you a day to get there, basically. It's on the river. So when John the Baptist came and the crowds came down to him from Jerusalem to hear the word of God preached, they came to Jericho. Um, They were right on Zacchaeus' doorstep. Um, In Luke 3, we read this, even tax collectors came to be baptized by John. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required, he told them. Zacchaeus may have been one of those tax collectors who came to John and said, what do I need to do to follow the ways of God? Either way, he knew. Everyone in the whole of Israel knew about John the Baptist, but Zacchaeus knew. He'd probably heard him. He'd heard the message, the prophecy, I baptise you with water, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he'll burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. I've asked you to use your imaginations earlier. How would Zacchaeus hear these words? I think he would have been a conflicted man. He was an Israelite, he was a Jew, he was an heir of the promise of God that God would establish his kingdom and rule and he would be their God and he would shepherd them and they would be their people. Except Zacchaeus is a tax collector working for the Roman Empire. He is a conflicted man. He doesn't know which side of the fence he is on. Is he on the side of those who will receive judgment and be uh, overturned? Or is he on the side of those who will be blessed and raised up and redeemed? He knew that God was starting his work, that the Messiah was coming, that he was going to reestablish what God had promised. And I don't think he was clear on whether he was part of that. I don't know if you relate to Zacchaeus. I do. I've got a real soft spot for this guy. And so what Zacchaeus does when he hears the news that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, 
the expectation was he is on the way to become king, coming through Jericho on the way up the hill. He has to see him. He has to know what this man is like and where he stands. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There are three really surprising statements in this passage that we're looking at this morning. This is the first one. Zacchaeus, I'm staying at your house today. Jesus, on the way to become king in Jerusalem, uh, coming with this great crowd and with this great expectation. Uh, He's in a crowd surrounded by Pharisees, surrounded by teachers of the law. Um, A large number of priests lived in Jericho. They reckon up to like 14,000 priests priests lived there because it was close to the Jerusalem temple so they could go do their service in the temple and come back. Um, Jericho is a little bit like the Hamptons as well. Um, I don't know what our equivalent of the Hamptons is. Maybe uh, Victor Harbour. (laughs) (laughs) Port Elliot, maybe. (laughs) Um, it, It was where the wealthy from Jerusalem had their winter residences. So Mark Anthony, Anthony, gave Cleopatra a palace in Jericho as a present one day. Um, Herod rented it back from him, (laughs) well, from from her. Um, In the crowd, there are important leaders. The mayor of Jericho is in this crowd. Uh, Herod had a palace there. All the palace officials had residences there where they would go and spend the winter. And Jesus chooses to go and stay with a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus, I must stay with you today. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. This is nothing new. This is what Jesus keeps doing when you think back to Levi. It's a radical choice. When you're heading up to Jerusalem to become a king, It matters who you surround yourself by. Uh, Imagine a president choosing their vice presidential candidate. All these important, influential people, and Jesus chooses this guy. He's not his vice president, but that's that's the kind of um, significance of this choice. It says something. It's a radical choice. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Second surprising statement. Half my wealth. I give it away right now. Just think about that for a minute. Maybe do the calculations. What's the equivalent for you? Uh, Let that sink in for a moment. 
half my wealth I give to the poor. Um, this, this is a response not of obligation either. It's really clear from the passage that this is not a response of guilt, but a response of joy. In his joy, Zacchaeus jumped down from the tree, says, come to my house, and here, right now, I give away half my wealth. It's almost as though Zacchaeus had been waiting for an opportunity to respond to what God has done. And he's overwhelmed by thankfulness, actually, that the Lord would choose to have fellowship with him, would choose to come and stay with him. It's a response of great um, joy that despite his story, um, God would generously choose to have fellowship. And so out of that joy, he gives half his wealth. The Messiah hadn't come to condemn him, but to reconcile with him. Jesus came to heal sinners, even Zacchaeus. That knowledge completely transforms him. It's, it's like a, flick, a switch gets flicked in him. Just this simple act, Zacchaeus, I'm coming with you. Here and now I give half of everything I have. I am a changed man. Uh, it's easy to get jaded and forget that there are transformations, that redemption happens. Uh, don't ever lose sight of the fact of the radical grace of God, that Jesus seeks and saves the lost, that this is what he does. He takes those who are far from God and he brings them back with joy into the life and fellowship and relationship and family of God. That's awesome. I love that that is how our God, how Jesus works. Don't ever lose sight of that. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Radical declaration number three. It doesn't seem that radical. It just seems like he's pointing out what's happened here. But what I want you to remember is that this statement comes straight after what Nick spoke about last week. Just contrast this with the story of the rich young ruler. A young, rich man who comes to Jesus and said, all the Ten Commandments I've kept since I was a kid, what else do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything and then come follow me. And he goes away sad and doesn't do it. Here, an equally wealthy tax collector is saved. He is back in Jesus' kingdom and the rich, good guy isn't. Uh, here, Jesus seemingly doesn't put any conditions on it. He isn't asked to follow Jesus. He isn't asked to sell everything that he has. He isn't even asked to stop being a tax collector. He just simply says, I'm coming to your house today and you have responded and you are saved. Uh, that, that gift of wealth um, comes as a response. So we've got these two stories. The rich, good, holy guy can't enter the kingdom of God and the sinful tax collector can. What's going on here? 
Why does Zacchaeus get in and the rich young ruler doesn't? What does Zacchaeus have that the rich young ruler doesn't? I've been thinking about that a lot as I've been preparing this morning. And the irony of this story is that the thing that Zacchaeus has is the knowledge that he is a sinner. He doesn't come to Jesus on the basis of his personal goodness. He doesn't come to Jesus and say, all these things I've kept since I was a boy, is there anything else I need to do to be perfect so that you will accept me? He comes to Jesus, not on his own goodness, but on the basis of Jesus' goodness. I know who I am, and Jesus, I'm coming to you. I want to see you. I want to know who you are. In Ephesians, Paul writes this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Zacchaeus is a living example of that passage. You want to know what salvation by grace, through faith, for the purpose of doing good works looks like? It looks like what happens to Zacchaeus. Jesus graciously invites him in. He listens and responds in faith and overflows with joy and generosity out into the world. The rich young ruler was trying to be perfect. What do I have to do to be perfect? Zacchaeus knew he wasn't. He received in grace what could not be earned. second thing that Zacchaeus has, number one, he knew he was a sinner. Number two, he doesn't hold anything back. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's doing the calculation. Jesus, what is it going to cost me to earn my way in? And Zacchaeus, um, he's just decided as soon as Jesus calls him that he's going to respond no matter what the cost. Lord, I will be obedient to you. You will be my number one priority. Anything else that gets in the way, I'm going to get rid of. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Jesus is his first love. And from that choice, everything flows in this joyful, generous transformation. The great irony of this passage is that Zacchaeus naturally does what the rich young ruler wasn't willing to do. Um, here and now I give half of my wealth. Bang. To be saved, we must come to Jesus humbly, recognizing that we are sinners and we do not deserve to be a part of God's family. And 
with a trust that Jesus is our Lord, that he will be our number one priority. It's as simple as that. That is what it means to be a Christian, to humbly acknowledge that we need the grace of God and to trust that Jesus is Lord. It's as simple as that. Which um, brings me back to the question that I kind of want to put to you this morning. Who are we more like? Who are you more like? I... Um, <laughs> I think I more naturally relate to the rich young ruler, but I'm neither rich nor young, so... <laughs> I, I used to be much more like him than I am now. <laughs> um, but I do need to heed that warning that I'm much, I naturally gravitate towards that self-righteous way of living. Uh, it is a problem for us in the church. We are saved by grace, but then after a while we start to get used to this idea that somehow we have earned favor with God that is based on what we do there is a way of living that looks righteous on the outside but in reality is all about us it is arrogant competitive, toxic hollow and it does not satisfy we need to be really wary of that way of living because it is a huge temptation. Many have gone down that road. True faith follows the example of Zacchaeus. It's this humble recognition that we are not perfect, that we don't live as we should, that it, faith is not about us but it's about the grace of God. Um, we all know that we're not perfect. Um, I don't think any of us would claim to be. But the temptation is to convince ourselves that maybe we can be perfect enough. Maybe I can just strive to be that bit more perfect and then God will accept me. I will have made the cut. Um, we start comparing and say, oh, thank goodness I'm not like the tax collector over there. He definitely doesn't make the cut, but I'm better than him, so maybe I do. Uh, Jesus told this story about a Pharisee who was praying in the temple and saying to God, thank goodness I'm not like that tax collector over there. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. Because everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Zacchaeus humbled himself. He recognised that he did not of himself have what was needed to come into the presence of Jesus, to have fellowship with him. But despite that, he still went looking for him. He still wanted to know him. He wanted to draw near him rather than run away. It's uh, like that old song, I'm not going to make you sing it this morning. Maybe this is where I do indicate that I'm an old man rather than a young man. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus.
to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord. Help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. This morning, I hope you are here because you are seeking Jesus. That you are looking and listening. That you have come prepared to listen and then not just hear the words, but like Zacchaeus, to jump down out of the tree and respond with generous uh, grace. Uh, I want to encourage you too. I, this may go without saying, but I'm going to say it again because it's so important. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, however you think of yourself, Jesus longs to meet with you. Just like he met with Zacchaeus and spoke grace. His desire is not to uh, condemn, but to restore. And when he speaks, I do hope, like Zacchaeus, you're ready to listen and to be open to what God is wanting to tell you this morning. Because listening to Jesus, uh, being obedient to him, is what it means to have faith. Uh, I say this quite regularly, but after being a follower of Jesus for a number of years, after being a pastor, I've worked out that what it means to be a Christian is to listen to God and do what he says. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Doesn't require much more than that. Um, that Jesus is the way to life and peace and joy. And if we will be obedient to him, we will find the abundance and the joy that is reflected in Zacchaeus as he joyfully jumps down from the tree and welcomes Jesus into his home. Be encouraged this morning. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, like you and me. He comes with grace, not wanting to condemn but wanting to welcome us back into relationship and restore his life in us if we're willing to humbly accept it. Not because we deserve it, not because of anything that we have done. Jesus is Lord because what we could not do, he has done. He is perfect, yet he eats with and welcomes sinners. He is on the road to the cross as we read this story this morning. He goes to that cross with criminals and he rises again. And by his grace, we've been made alive in him. I'm going to finish there, but we're heading into a time of communion now. And um, this is a time where we have the opportunity to practically meet with Jesus, to kind of put aside the talk and humbly come in response to what God is doing uh, in us. Not as an idea in our heads, but as in a reality that speaks into our souls. So I'm going to hand over to Sarah, and she's going to lead us towards communion.